I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Good morning, Celtics fans. You're listening to the Celtics Pod, part of the Celtics Blog Podcast Network. I'm your boy, Adam Taylor. I'm joined by my homie, my compadre, my co-host in crime, Mr. Will Weir. What's going on, Will? How are you feeling on this fine Wednesday morning? Technically Tuesday night, but let's just ignore that part. What it do, Taylor gang? I am doing fantastic. I am still living off the highs of praising our Lord and Savior, Al Horford. I'm a, me personally, I'm naming game four the Judas Priest game. The Judas, tell me more. Because we're living on a prayer. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that Bon Jovi? Was it Bon Jovi? Yeah, it's Bon Jovi. Sure. Bon Jovi I'll, be, I'll be honest, man. Here's the thing. I am terrible with, with me music too. knowledge. Me too. Let's figure that out. Let's have and, a look. Well, we got we to gotta, we gotta figure this out real quick here. I'm, but I'm almost it's positive. Bon Jovi. It's Bon Jovi. Why did I think it was Judas Priest? I love that you had this big setup, and this is like and one of the handful of times its that I would be able to correct you, and I got it right. What did, oh man, what, what song am I thinking of? Then there must be no, dude. It just fell flat, flat on its face. That, do you know what? I'm not into that era of rock anyway, so I'm fine. Do you want to know what's funny about this, Adam? Is so I had a very similar conversation with uh, with my girlfriend earlier today. So where I live out in Austin, Texas, they just announced the lineup for one of the big music festivals, Austin, Austin City Limits. And um, we were talking about uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers are, are one of the headliners. And I was saying how I had seen them like a decade ago um, when they when they had uh, first come to not not first come to ACL, but when I had first gone to to the music festival way back when I first moved to Austin, Texas. And I was talking about uh, and I, like I said, I'm really bad with song names, like even like all these famous bands. I know the songs. I just don't know the names, especially if it's not in the hip hop you know, rap genre. I'm just not going to know the names. There's, there's just no chance. And so I was talking about um, their top song, which is Californication, which is the, which is the, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, one of their most famous songs. And I, and I think I originally called it Hotel California, which is the Eagles song. Yeah. Yeah. I know Hotel the one. California. Guitar so, Hero classic. Yeah, exactly. So I mixed that up. So I did exactly what you did just earlier today. So it's just funny how how my day has come full circle with this. Full circle. You get to correct me, man. I mean, look, I'll be honest with you. If it's a genre of music that I have an interest in, so like I was a big, big new metal fan coming up. Um, so you're like, talking about new metal, like NU metal, yeah, right? That's NU a- metal, yeah. So like I was a big new metal fan, a big like kind of like pop, punk like blink 182 some 41 and then an old school hip-hop fan you know mm-hmm. like wu-tang method man yeah, Red we've man, talked all, about that before for sure all of that stuff like if you tell me in the song name there and like it's in my kind of like library of songs that i really mess with and you're wrong then i'll be able to point it out to you but if we're talking bon jovi judas that's like my mum's like era you know yeah. what i mean like I'm like, dude, I don't know. I'm just. I know this. To, this, this, this is like a. Itself, this is a one in a million chance that I that I happen to know the I actual mean, answer. If I'd landed it, if I got it, like, look, man, I went up for the kickflip. I got the board to go over, but I just didn't get my feet back down on the board quick enough, and I fumbled. It is what it is. But if I'd landed it, that would have been a smooth setup, man. But let's tell you what was smooth: the way the Celtics came back in the fourth quarter to turn things around. See how? I'm yes, just sir. Reflecting right now, like. Uh, <laughs> Look, man, I want to start with 
I want to get to Al Horford, but I think he he doesn't deserve to be the starting point because his game was so good that I want it to be like a feature rather than like an entry point. Do you know what I mean? So I want to start with let's start with like Marcus Smart, who deserves to be an entry point because I think that you know early in the game he was still valuable, but he he was kind of like in and out in terms of impact and like impact. Like certain plays he made were very impactful at the beginning of the game. As the game wore on, he kind of had a couple of questionable moments, then kind of came back around and played well. But then like from from the second half onwards, that dude was just he was everywhere. Like he, there's going to be a piece coming out today by the time you all are listening to this about what i've wrote about marcus smart but like his defensive uh, numbers were great his on-ball defense on Giannis when he i mean he spent most his biggest matchup was on Giannis for most of that game like if someone was getting switched on to Giannis outside of Horford, it was smart and he's done a yeah. really good job he was battling with Brooke lopez down on the block um boxing out and then on offense you know he finished the game with eight assists uh, he was one of the best penetrators on ball, like really made the defense work hard. And then his shooting weren't too bad in the second half either. So like considering the goose egg that he laid in game three, like this was a really good kind of like return to form for him because yeah. you, you could see in game three, his, his quad looked like it was still giving him a bit of trouble. I can't say there was rustiness because he only missed one game, but that's all it takes to throw you out of rhythm sometimes, especially when you're coming back to like, the highest level of high level basketball yeah absolutely and this this for sure felt more like the marcus smart we expect right you know when you look at game three there's a bunch of stuff that you could that you could have talked about and you and greg did a great job kind of reviewing the game and then setting up the game uh last night for the for game four with your preview pod and you know it was it was marcus smart and jason tatum when you look at individual performances from game three they're clearly the two that really stood out and really jason tatum was the one that i feel like more people focused on but marcus smart also had you know a, a very low impact game and i think you guys mentioned it on the pod that when we were in the playback room we talked about it live in the game that Man, usually Marcus Smart, because he's one of those guys where very similar to Derek White, who we also need to talk about, that, you know, the stats, sometimes they'll stick out to you, but not always, but the impact. And we talk about this with Rob Williams a lot, too. The impact you feel through the screen. As you're watching, you can tell that they're having a visible impact, whether it's with hustle plays, their individual defense, team defense, little things that they're doing that are changing the game. And, you know, Marcus, he's a nuisance, right? If you're not a Celtics fan, you you probably consider him a nuisance when he plays your team. He's always got his hand in the cookie jar. He's always disrupting whatever you're trying to do. And he's got this energy about him in game three that seemed to be lacking until there was a real sense of urgency in the fourth quarter. You started to see it a little bit more. Maybe it was the injury. Maybe it was him, to your point, getting his rhythm back together. Not sure. Whatever it may be, this game did feel a lot different. It was really nice to see Marcus Smart kind of refined that that player that he's really become this year, winning defensive player of the year, being the point guard you know of the boston celtics and as you're as you pointed out he had a great second half second half celtics basically went with you know with the with the foul trouble to jalen brown they had four guys who basically played the entire second half marcus was one of them playing just under 23 minutes shot five of seven from the field like you talked about and this is something i want to i meant to bring up pre-series and i'm not sure i got a chance to do it was you talked about the moments in which he was guarding Giannis, and last 
series for the Bucks when they were playing the Bulls. They only lost, I think it was game two. I want to make sure I get this right. It was only game two against the Bulls that they lost. And then the Bulls, who already were banged up coming into it, got some more injuries, and that series went by the wayside, turned into an easy victory for the Bucks. But the one game they lost where they were relatively at full strength, the game that they won, a lot of the times, Alex Caruso was the one that was kind of pestering Giannis, trying to keep him from, from getting that, that momentum trying to prevent him from getting the ball in the positions in which he's able to just attack, go downhill. And when Giannis goes downhill, unless you're like Marcus Smart was willing to do last night, put your chest out and take a charge. Like there's not really too much that you, you can do to stop him. And so I did think it was interesting watching that game. Cause I was looking ahead to this next series for the Celtics. And like, I do wonder if we see in select moments, you know, Marcus Smart try to take a little bit of what Alex Caruso was able to do in small stints and give Giannis a little bit of trouble. And we saw a little, bit of that last night and so a huge bounce back game for Marcus overall I, I think probably for me what, what really stood out the most was actually something Marcus did on the offensive end which was down towards the end of the game towards the end of the fourth quarter stretch he kind of played a little bully ball with Drew Holiday and Pat Connaughton down the paint and, you know, just said, just kind of back them down a couple times where I thought maybe it wasn't going to end up too smooth. But, you know, Marcus was was doing like I said, Marcus had that impact last night that we didn't see in the previous game. And so hopefully this means it's a step closer to him being, you know, back to full strength. And maybe it was just that one game ramp up he needed to, to get back into the feel of what's a really, really physical series. Yeah, I mean, in that fourth quarter, we finished with nine points. He had 18 in the game. So 50% of his scoring came in that last, like, down, like most of it in the clutch as well. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, yeah, he there was one play where he backed Drew down and turned it into Drew and shot while, like, taking the contact. Like, he was bodying guys. And then in the press conference, he's like, yeah, I'm 6'4". Most of the time, playing at the one, I'm shooting over dude's head. Like, he, he's very, I think he's embracing the fact that, like, Hey, I don't. I can be just as physical on offense as what I can on defense, and I can probably get some good success there. You know, especially when he's got like Drew Holiday is not a mismatch, but Marcus oh, Smart. At time, but at times, Marcus made it look like a bit of a mismatch. Well, that I mean, that ties into one of Ime's post game comments where he talked about wanting to attack Drew Holiday on defense, which obviously, you know, someone of his stature defensively, you don't think of, but then you look at the burden, and this is what Ime was was pointing to the burden that he has to now carry on offense without Chris Middleton, which I think is going to be a running theme that I talked about, you know, last time I was with you here, the longer the series goes, the more the impact of not having Chris Middleton is going to be felt by that Bucks team. And, and you look at Drew holiday and you think about attacking him on the defensive end because of what he now has to carry on that offensive end that he can't pass off to Chris Middleton. He has to be that second line of support for, for Giannis and you know he averaged in the regular season shooting about 14 shots a game he's shooting 23 per game in the four, first four games of this series that is a massive leap for anybody especially someone who that's not necessarily not that he's not a capable offensive player but he picks his he, he picks his spots and that's when Drew Holiday's at his best offensively is when he can pick his spots and not be kind of dictated to to be, you know, a, you know, a, a guy carrying that type of load. And and you're seeing, you know, he shot 50 percent from the field in the regular season, 40 percent from three in this series. That's down to 34 percent from three or should be 34 percent from the field and 30 percent from three because of all the extra volume that he has to carry in the absence of Chris Middleton. And so I think that's a lot of why you're seeing, you know, someone that the Celtics trust with the ball, like Marcus Smart saying, 
let's attack Drew Holiday. Let's make him work because the longer the series goes, the more he has to put in, you know, that that double duty effort on both sides of the ball, the better it's going to be long term for us. Yeah, I mean, you go to the, you go to any gym right now, anyone, uh, you know, if in shape or not, and start shooting. And then once you start feeling tired, take another nine shots and just see how it feels to put the put those up. You know what I mean? When you're gassed, because don't forget, it's easy for you to go and shoot. Um, what did you say? 23 shots in a, a game? Yeah, so he's averaging 23 shots okay, per game so in this series versus 14 in the regular season. Yeah, so you go to a gym now, shoot 23 shots. You're probably going to be a little bit out of breath yourself anyway, assuming you're actually trying to make them, um, you're dribbling and, you know, putting yourself in game situations. Now imagine doing that while playing against, in one of the most physical series you're probably ever going to be part of, against elite defenders, and now you're being asked to shoot nine extra shots per game and defend against some of the best wings and some of the most physical guards in the NBA. And then let's see how you fare. It, it, it's a really good strategy. It's one I hadn't considered um, deeply enough, but coming to think of it, like you, you're, you're wearing him down. Mm-hmm. Those legs are going to feel heavy and they're going to feel heavy tomorrow. Yep. Sorry, they're going to feel heavy today, the day after. And anybody that works out knows the day after, the day after. So two days later is always the day you really feel that overexertion. He's going to be coming into Marsaw, and you know, and you've had to travel, so they've spent the day yeah. heading back to Boston. All these things factor in, and they slowly build up over the course of the se- the series, right? The other thing I want to touch on is talk- talking about throwing Alex Caruso on on Giannis. They're very comfortable, Boston are, on allowing Peyton Pritchard switches onto Giannis too on the perimeter. If you notice, no one's trying to scram him out. I, I have noticed that, and, I, and here's the. Which number one leaves me a little confused. It it happens only in he only plays about ten minutes a game, so it only happens in smaller moments. But I, I so I have noticed that number one, number two, and I said this last night uh, when I was watching the game. Giannis passed the ball at one point when Peyton Pritchard was on him, and I couldn't understand for the life of me why he he would do such a thing. But I don't know if that's just a rely not a reliance, but a a trust factor in the support defense that will help if Giannis were to get going. But yeah, I have noticed that it's been confusing both when the Celtics have let it happen and then also Giannis when he hasn't attacked that. So the only thing I can think of is they're foul baiting him. Because Giannis Giannis will dis like dislodge Pritchard with ease. Oh, he might cease to exist if if he ran over. But the size discrepancy is even just putting your arm out and dislodging him is a blow Mm -hmm. to the face. It's a flagrant. Do you know what I mean? So I don't know whether Giannis is kind of like, hey, like I can get past this guy. It's not really going to be too hard, but it's going to be through physical dominance rather than skill. You know, Giannis is going to dislodge him and then use his frame to kind of seal him off. And I don't know whether the Celtics are trying to foul bait like just trying, you know, put Pritchard on him because Giannis might feel like I can go, I can drive past, drive through this guy. But if you pick up a foul or two by doing so, then all of a sudden you might have to sit for the rest of the quarter. Yeah, it's interesting. I haven't, I, I've seen it a couple times and I haven't figured it out because usually you would, you would assume if you see that all of a sudden, whoever's the closest matchup, exactly, or or they would run at him with a double team to get that to get that switch, you know? Yeah, for sure. Like something somewhere is happening, but they're not. They're just letting it ride. And they did that in game three. And I think we started to see it a little bit. I think it was in game two. So I'm like, yo, this, there's definitely reasoning behind it. And I'd love to know what it is. But I just don't. Yeah. Um. But like, you know, because you, like you said, I'd expect to see him scram him out of there. 
and they haven't. Even with Derek, like you know, Derek White, I feel more comfortable seeing Derek White match up with Giannis than anybody like Pritchard because at least Derek White is sturdy enough to be able to absorb that first point of contact, right? With Giannis and still. Can we talk a little Derek White? Because Derek White had a heck of a game last night. And Derek White had a you know a great two-game series in Milwaukee on, on the road after a game where, you know, it left people kind of questioning because he had that that offer in in the blowout in game two. Left people kind of questioning last night, playoff career high, minutes per game for Derek White. He's plus 41 on the series, which can be flawed. I get it. But still, Derek White is a guy that that had a pretty big impact. I talked about four main guys really played the second half of last night. It was Derek White. Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, and Al Horford. Those were the four main guys with Jalen Brown in foul trouble that Ime Oduka went to last night. And Derek White, I think, has been has been really, really good in these last two games for the Celtics. Yeah, Derek White is the point guard or shooting guard. Let's just call him guard. Derek White is the guard version of Al Horford. Does everything right, makes the right decisions all the time, never stands out for the wrong reasons, rarely stands out for the right reasons, but is always impacting the game positive like in a positive nature game three was a little bit different he stood out for all the right reasons i think this game was a little bit more understated from him which is what makes me think he's the al horford guard like the guard version of al horford because if you've been watching him since he arrived in boston this stood out because you know his positioning was sound his decision making was fantastic defense was solid he was hitting his shots to anyone that's been following him since February, we're all like, yo, this is the Derek White we were hoping to see. But for anybody just kind of watching that game, like they've tuned in, they're not really a Celtics fan, they're not really, you know, they're not really a Bucks fan. Even though our Bucks fan don't really matter, they ain't seen enough Derek White anyway. But to them, they're just like, oh, you guys gave up all this for this guy. Yeah. And But then for us, we're like, yo, that, we, like if he can play like this consistently for, the time, for his duration of time in Boston, then he was worth every penny, man. Because I think he was he's that he's that connector. He's exactly what Brad yeah. Stevens described him as. He's connecting everything, especially in terms of defense transitioning into offense. I feel that's where he's really strong as a glue piece. He's like, you know, he gets the ball off the rebound, someone passes it to him. Instant offense. He's pitching it ahead. He's driving. He's making a decision. Coming back on defense, he's making a play. And then he's just he's one of those guys that it's like a stretch Armstrong. He keeps stretching him into different parts of the game. And he just stays there for a while. And like you said, it's, I think the, the main part you just said to me, or, or most important part for me, is his decision-making. I think he very rarely do you see him make an incorrect decision offensively or defensively. And and I think last night really speaks to that, to that point. People of like, man, that you guys over, you know, the Celtics really either lost out in that trade or overpaid or however they want to phrase it. And last night, as, as I think about what the options could have been if we don't make that trade. So most likely you're looking at some form of, of Dennis Schroeder or, you know, Josh Richardson or, or one of the guys that's, that's in that role. And what I think you get with Derek Wright, Derek White, much like we've talked about is that stability, like with Josh Richardson or Dennis Schroeder, maybe there's an off chance you're going to get a slightly higher high than what you get from Derek White, but the biggest difference being they do it kind of on their own terms. Derek White fits perfectly 
into the system of what the Celtics are trying to do and has a much higher floor than what you may get if Josh Richardson or Dennis Schroeder are in that spot because the variables with the two of them and their decision-making, their processing, the things that they do well are just going to have a higher variance than what you're getting with Derek White, where Derek White, you don't even have to think about it. Like, hey, it stinks JB's in foul trouble, but you know what? We can keep Derek White roll that with Al, roll that with with Marcus and Jason Tatum, and we don't even have Rob Williams. So imagine if you have Rob Williams in there as well. And so you feel very comfortable rolling out those four last night to be able to play the majority of the second half and be able to get yourself a win. I don't, you know, with Josh Richardson and, and, and with Dennis Schroeder from earlier in the year, it, it feels like a toss-up that, you know, I can't even say it's 50-50. It might be 60-40 in the way that you don't want it to be, but it's not going to be something that you feel as confident about. You're going to have to feel it out. You're going to have to see, is this the good Is this the good Josh Richardson? Is this the good Dennis Schroeder? Or is this going to be the one that's going to mess up our flow, going to take away from the system? Whereas Derek White is a guy that fits in so perfectly with this team that I, I you know, I don't care about the, the trade details anymore. I, to me, this seems like a perfect fit. You've said some very... Um egregious then what is it you, you insinuated that there was a good version of dennis schroeder i'm only joking <laughs> i'm only joking uh <laughs> i even tried to temper that down by changing it from a coin flip which would make it 50 50 to 60 40 the bad way just to just just to kind of appease you a little bit <laughs> <laughs> and i still end up having an issue <laughs> like uh no nah, i mean i'm messing around I'm, I'm pulling you chain but um no i agree like from my standpoint this having multiple high-level decision makers is integral, especially to the way Udoka plays with that um, 0.5. I was going to say 0.5, but I'll get more <laughs> messages with that 0.5 offense, um, all predicated around instant decisions, high-level um, ability to read the floor, high-level ability to react to what's going on around you. As you said, you couldn't get that by plugging in. Richardson, you could get some mid-range scoring. You could get a little bit of additional ball handling, some on-ball defense on the wing. I think Derek White's better at everything there. I think Derek White's Just a better quick, on-ball from defender. ESPN stats and info. Oh, for Bucks the Bucks last night against Derek White when he's the primary defender. Oh, of nine. I'll take that wing defense. Exactly. You see, you just literally. I was talking. You came in with a stat. You made exactly what we were saying perfectly on point. We can move on. That's called succinctness. Um. <laughs> Adam, I also have to jump in here. We're we're about twenty two minutes into this podcast. I, I can't. We can't go any longer. We 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 have to bring up our Lord and Savior. Before we do that, we'll go to break. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. And then we can come back. Everyone who's listened to some lovely lovely ad reads, they've heard of new products that they're probably very interested in. And then they'll come back and hear us talk about Al Horford and forget all about those products. So just to frustrate everybody, we'll be back momentarily.
sometimes I really wish I knew what the ad reads were before we did it. So I could be like, man, what do you think of this? But I just don't. So, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. Okay. It's our Horford time, baby. I feel like. Let's uh, do it. Yep. The picture of Al Horford's angry face just nodding furiously at Yanis. Like, okay, okay, will forever live in infamy among Celtics fans. Or it should do. You know what I mean? Because that was the point. That was the turning point for me. I know that the players like Marcus Smart mentioned it. Um, Jason Tatum mentioned it. They see the turning point as when Horford dunked on Yanis. And let's be honest, I really enjoyed that. Oh my I god. So I love Giannis as a person. I think like, you know, with everything, like all the jokes he makes and just how jovial and how joyous he is about just getting to play basketball for a job. Like that's how you should be. When you see these sullen guys, players that are sullen in press conferences consistently, I'm like, man, you don't understand how privileged you are to be in this position. And it instantly puts me at a position where I'm like, why are you so angry, man? But so I like Giannis for that, but I think that Giannis is very big on playing physical and like um bullying his way for everybody. So to see Horford do that to him and put him on the floor and just primal like yeah like like dude man that was the that was one of the best moments. I was so happy for Al Horford at that point in time because he's had it rough the last few years and then to come back to Boston and to be such an integral piece of what they're trying to do right now in this series, I'm just like, dude, you deserve all of these flowers, man. Yeah, I mean, it can't be said enough the, how amazing Al Horford has been in this series. He's averaging just under 19 points, 11.3 rebounds, 3.5 assists, 1.3 steals, 1.5 blocks, 55% from the field, 50% from three, 83% from the line. Like, those are some insane playoff numbers from Al Horford. You know, we talk, they talked a lot about it. And shout out to Anna Horford, guest of the show, friend of the podcast, uh, where, she's, where she tweeted out last night, after Al Horford made that face when Giannis had that dunk, I think it's about, I have it written down here, 10.56 left in the third quarter. <laughs> I've seen that face before. And he's talked about it. He was like, he said he doesn't even know what, what Giannis said, but he didn't like it. But I like, which is, which is such an old man thing to say, by the way. I don't know what he said, but I don't like the way he said it. And he just, he said something just flipped in him at that time. And so that dunk, I want, I want to talk about that for a minute because, you know, obviously it was huge in the game. It, it, it tied up the game at the time. It really felt like momentum was, you know, obviously it was trending towards the Celtics, but from that moment on, it was no question. The Celtics were, were taking momentum for themselves and ripping it away from the Milwaukee Bucks. And while the game was happening, there was a play at the end of the third quarter where Jason Tatum had an opportunity to, to to drive the lane and Giannis was waiting for him at the rim. And myself and Greg were hosting the room on playback. And I said at the time, and it, it, Jason Tatum made the correct call. Giannis is waiting for him at the rim. Al Horford, who was smoking hot all last night, was wide open at the three-point line. He kicked the ball back out to Al Horford. Al missed. That was one of the few shots Al missed all game. Shot it back, Got it back out to Al. Al missed the shot. I said at the time, Sometimes the wrong choice is the right choice. And sometimes you got to stand up to that bully. And one of the things that I think we've seen repeatedly from a lot of the Celtics in this series is Giannis is on their brain and rightfully so the man's terrifying. Like I, I totally get it. It's, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's what it, it's, it's understandable, but at a certain point, 
you have to challenge that bully. You have to try to embrace the the contact or try to create contact or show that you're not afraid to bring that ball into his home, which is that painted area on the basketball court. He owns that, specifically in Milwaukee. He he literally owns that. He has a rental agreement. He has a property leasing agreement. He owns he owns that spot. And so I get not going up at it. I, I totally do. And I and I get why Tatum passed it out, but there was part of me that was like, man. I want to see some superstar on superstar crime and try to establish like, Hey, we're not afraid anymore. We're coming at you. And so Tatum didn't do it in that moment, but Al Horford did when he had that dunk on Giannis came through, ended up, you know, catching him in the face in the way after got the technical, whatever, like, and then the burst of emotion that came from Al Horford. And I've been calling him animated Al all postseason. Because he's taking on a different persona. This feels like a different man. He's usually very reserved, may give you that small flex. But in this postseason, all the emotion is on the line. And to me, this feels like that elder statesman, that 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 veteran that just knows what a young team needs. And what they need is for, you know, their uncle Al to be a vocal leader, not just behind the scenes in the locker room but on the court to go ahead and fight that big, bad bully. And that was just an incredible moment that will live on, you know, forever in, in, in Celtics playoff lore, hopefully as the series continues to move on, but just an incredible moment from Al Horford on Giannis. I mean, for me, like my mentality with this whole Al Horford run right now is how many vets at his age that have never been a superstar, never been a multi-time all-star are having, have, have, are having or have had such an impact to a team that's contending that's trying to win a championship you look at al right now he left boston um when he went to philly with the notion of he was just trying to put himself in the best position to win a championship ring i remember having anna anna horford on this show like a week or two weeks after the trade was announced or like sorry the free agency signing was announced and she was explaining what al horford's mindset was at that moment in time to come back full circle to be fighting for an, like another opportunity to try and earn a championship with the same group of guys that he left when he like went and to be doing so in art, what could potentially be one of his last few years in the nba and to be doing everything at this level like he he deserves to be that emotional man he deserves to be that animated because he at the end of the day you don't know once his body's going to start declining and sometimes guys that can keep at a peak level for a long time their decline is rapid yeah do you know what i mean it's like you wake up one day all of a sudden you can't jump so like for i'm i'm all on this al horford train and i know that draymond green on his show um today so tuesday he he went on record like yo I feel like Al Horford's got another four or five years in the league the way he's playing maybe. right now and maybe maybe but are those four or five years going to be spent as the starting five man or the starting four for a cha- for the Celtics or is he going to get he is, he, is his role going to start shrinking in a year or two is he going to get opportunities to be able to finish over a superstar like Giannis. Is he going to get opportunities to be the vocal leader on a mm-hmm. team that's still doing, you know, because you've got Udonis Haslam that's a vocal leader over in Miami, but Duda isn't doing anything kind of very floor. different way. Yeah. Yeah. Like Al Horford has got the, the beauty of being Boston's Haslam, but being able to continue leading and motivating while on the floor too. And like, you know, I saw some numbers earlier, like um, the Celtics are screen assist this season. Um, when coming off screen set by Al Horford, the Celtics are averaging 1.4 points per screen attempt. 
So every time Al Horford sets that screen, you know, you've got almost a, a what what would that be? It'd be like a 7.5 in 10 chance of you scoring a bucket. Like the dude has just been ridiculously good in every aspect of the game. Like, I, I, yo, flex, dude. Like, flex more. Flex, flex on more? him. Flex. And last night, so you and I talked about this briefly before we started recording. You can't even call last night a throwback game. Last night was was the peak of of Al Horford in the playoffs. It was his 139th career playoff game, and it was his career high. His first time he's ever scored 30 points in a playoff game. And and Adam, my absolute favorite part of of his night last night. And like I said, you know the the, the persona of Al seems a little bit more. He's typically a little bit more reserved. He's been very animated throughout this postseason run. He's he's yelling. He's kind of getting in guys' faces, and I love it. And my favorite part of last night was game was tied 85-85 in the fourth quarter. Celtics get the ball in transition, and Tatum finds him. I think it was Tatum finds him on the left wing, and Al, without a moment's thought, pulls the trigger, nails the three-point shot in transition, which was basically an Al Horford heat check. And for the life of me, as much as I love Al Horford and as much as I've seen him play in the last, you know, five, six years, whatever it might be, I don't think I've ever seen a heat check from Al Horford. And that shot had me grinning from ear to ear for the entirety of that game and throughout the night. I mean, let's be fair. Like, I, I'm, I'm riding, the, I'm leading this Al Horford train. I want to be at the forefront, yeah? But a lot of this is coming off the fact that the way the books are kind of designed is we're not letting Tatum and Brown be the guys to dictate the outcome of this game. So you're going to have to find your offense elsewhere. And Horford's kind of stepped into that role um, and really succeeded within that role. And I think that's like, that's obvious to everybody that's watching the game. There's a lot of defensive attention on the star wings. Horford's kind of being a benefit. Like, look, he's still making no shots. The reason he's not being such a prominent piece of like the defensive attention is because they dis- they didn't respect his offensive ability but the fact of the matter is they've te- they the books basically dared Al Horford to beat them in two straight games and Al Horford beat them in two straight games now we're going to have to see how the books change their defense and then what we're going to have to do is see how how who else springs free because of that do you know what I mean so look we, we've taken we're trying to take away Tatum we're trying to take away Brown well, Al Horford stepped into that role where he's giving us the extra points. He's giving 19, 20, 21, 30, whatever it may be. Well, now we've got to take away Al Horford. That's when you need the next man up to step into that role and continue doing it. Now, if they try and take away Al Horford in game five and Al Horford absolutely still finds a way to dominate, then I'm sorry, but we need to figure out some form of way of giving him like a coronation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he needs a crown, he needs a big robe, a staff. He's just king of Boston at that point because he's dominating right now with kind of like with Milwaukee's consent mm-hmm. in a way. You know what I mean? I'm not taking nothing away because being you're still dominating, you're still making those shots, and I respect the hell out of it. But if they take away that consent and he's still doing this, bro, man, I'll, I'm coming to Boston. We're coronating that dude. He needs the crown. Yeah. We're just going to name him King Al the first. <laughs> King Al will get a parade through the streets of Boston. But no, I mean you're you're not wrong. It's definitely plan. It's definitely part of what 
Milwaukee's trying to do. But sometimes this is what you have to do because Milwaukee has a great defense, right? They have their defense has not been whole this whole season and until the last couple about twenty games or so, whenever Brooke Lopez came back, and so that's part of why their defense all year didn't really match up to really what we knew it could be, especially when you have guys like Giannis and Drew Holiday at the head of the snake, and so you're seeing that fully formed defense, and you, and that's why you're seeing this game is is a battle. Like we talked about, you know, like this game, the, the series is super physical. And I think one thing that really jumps off out of the screen to me is there's bodies on the floor constantly, no matter from first from tip all the way through the final buzzer, there are bodies hitting the deck left and right. And so, you know, if what they're going to give you, if they're going to try to focus their attention on guys like Jason Tatum, who, you know, I, I pointed out some of Drew Holiday's shooting stats. You, Giannis is getting 32, 13, and 8, but he's not very efficient with it. So when you're taking that away from some of the star players, you need those role guys to step up. And, and Al's just been able to do that. And so I, I, to your point, I think it's interesting because I don't know that Milwaukee is going to change too much because I still think they'd rather gamble and I don't know if it's the correct gamble, but I think they'd still rather gamble with Al than they would with Jalen or Tatum. I could be wrong, but we'll have to see because I just don't know how many more options they really have to make a, a ton of adjustments because I, I still think you'd probably be a little bit more scared that if Tatum and Brown were able to get in their their rhythms and their ceilings of what they can do, that it could look even worse. So it will be interesting to see what those adjustments look like uh, come game five. Yeah, I mean, I'm not expecting them to, like, take their foot off the gas in trying to limit Jalen and Jason. Mm -hmm. I'm just expecting them to put their foot on the gas with reacting to Horford getting the yeah. ball. You know what I mean? Because they're going to have Close to... Close out a little bit more, challenge those three-point yeah. shots, not give them up as reluctantly, yeah. Maybe stay up to touch on the screens when he's the screen guy, limit those pick-and-pop opportunities because that's where he was cooking them in game four. Yeah. You know, Boston ran a bunch of empty corner actions. They were running empty corner staggers and having Horford kind of like pop into the corner after the stagger screen because there's no low de low man defense to help. They're running a bunch of empty corner pick and rolls where Horford can kind of pop it to, pop towards the slot. Like that pick and pop was killing Milwaukee for a good like stretch. And they weren't coming up to touch on the screen. They weren't hedging. Nobody was trying to stop Horford from popping open into space. He was just, oh, they would, again, it, it was like he was dominating with their consent. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And they're going to have to make alterations to take away that pick and pop because if they don't, then Horford's going to keep cooking them. And if they do and Horford cooks them anyway, that's where I'm going to be like, Yo, y'all been sleeping on Al for too long. This dude's had enough. He's putting you all on notice that he's doing this at nearly 36 years old. He's like, dude, I'm doing this and I'm close to retirement. Your superstar's doing this and he's not he's not even in his prime. You know what I mean? I dunked on that fool. Um, but that's like that that's my outlook on it anyway. Yeah. I, I mean, you can't take nothing away from Al. And um, please, everybody listening, don't think I'm trying to because I'm a big advocate for what he's doing right now. And then, look, man, the only other guy we've really got to hit on right now, JB, we're talking about Giannis and challenging superstars. You want to see the star action going at Giannis towards the rim. One of the reasons Brown's been so effective this series is because he's not afraid to challenge Giannis at that yeah. rim. And part of me just feel like we're going to see Brown try and jump over Giannis at some point. I'd be very happy <laughs> if we did. Um, Tatum, on the other hand, had it, has his own bounce back game. Yeah, that you was big. I mean? We got to talk about that. He had his own bounce back game. I think what was it? 
what did he get? He got 30 points. He ended um, up with 30 points, had 21 of them rebounds, in the second that's what half. I was 13. For. And that was really interesting, right? The 13 rebounds. And and I wonder if in his mind there was an additional emphasis as Rob Williams got ruled out of the game, you know, about an hour, hour and a half before tip. And I wonder if there was an added, you know, emphasis in, in Jason Tatum's mind because one of the weird subplots of of the postseason, and this is something we had talked about with Jason Tatum, who Jason Tatum, who has had a you know minus game three, has had a really solid postseason, has upped his assist totals, his point totals around twenty eight points per game. You know, he's got two about two two and a half steals per game. But for a guy that would has upped his rebounding, we talked a lot about this during the regular season, how much better of a rebounder he's become. And he was, I think, up around somewhere somewhere towards eight rebounds per game in the regular season. He's been down at four and a half rebounds per game during during the playoffs, which which was really interesting when I was looking at some of his numbers from the other night. But then to see him have those 13 rebounds to go with those 30 points, to have 21 in the second half, to go five or six from the field in the in the fourth quarter. This was a a very important game for Jason Tatum to have, given the way his game three went. It, it was probably as big of a game, as big a performance as Al Horford had. Long-term, it's probably even bigger that Jason Tatum had the game that he did because of the, the focus that goes along with being that transitioning star into a superstar and you're going up against the you know the titan of the league that is Giannis so for Tatum to have that bounce back game I I think that's absolutely massive for for what it does for this team in in the long term of this postseason run and I knew that it was going to be a good game for him when I saw him dunk on who was it on was it on Lopez early in the game yeah dunked on Lopez and that to me was kind of his way like the way I interpreted that was him being like, yo, I'm, I'm going to cook you today, you know? And we didn't see that aggressiveness in terms of penetration and driving to the rim, but we did see that aggressiveness in his shot selection. He was quicker to get the ball out of his hands, get the ball up in the air. Uh, I think I'm rebounding like throughout the playoffs. He's been more, he's been leaking out more than he has been crashing the boards. I, I think there's benefits to that, but I also like the fact that, you know, Tatum's a good grab-and-go type of rebound guy that can get the ball and push the pace up the floor quite quickly. He's going to draw defense. The pickup point on Tatum is always going to be a lot higher up than the pickup point on Marcus Smart or on Al Horford. So having Tatum grab the ball and then bring it over half court instead of getting the pitch ahead pass, you're forcing those earlier pickup points, which means you're spreading that defense out, running action across screen or whatever, and you're going to find some openings for him to start acting as a playmaker a little bit more. Finished with five assists in the game. Like you said, I think for me, his entire success this season, like uh, like his growth in his assist numbers, in the way he plays the game, is he's been very dominant getting to the rim all year. He's been one of the more like reliable penetrators to the rim for the Celtics all season. He's been causing collapses. Shooters have had better quality looks because of it. He's not doing that right now. And I feel like even though he had a good performance and he's had... Like, you know, was it game one? He had a good game as well, um, you know? So he's had a couple of good games in this series, but it just doesn't feel like Tatum games. Not For the sure. Tatum that we've seen throughout the season. You know what I mean? But I, I think... Feel like- I think that's part of the growth of of a superstar, right? Because yeah, the attention's sure. on you. You know what I mean? Like like everything that they're doing is is clearly geared towards number one goal: do not let Jason Tatum get off. And there's a little bit of it also where I think 
and I hesitate to say this because I, I know Tatum had a great bounce back game last night, but I think Giannis has at least a little bit of real estate in Jason Tatum's mind, especially with when he in terms of him driving in this series. Like, there's oh, there's a, a little, condo in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's there's some there's some rental property. A timeshare. You know what I mean? Yeah, share, yeah, a timeshare. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's probably pretty good. There's there's something in there. So I I I think for Jason Tatum, this is part of that growth where. Okay, the the Bucks have put this, you know, this this equation in front of you, and you're having trouble solving it. And what you usually do to solve that equation isn't working. So how do you adjust? What else can you do to to figure out the solution? And, and I think he's getting there. You know, I, I think definitely game three was a little step back, but I think this was a massive step forward because that's going to happen to, you know, there's no star in this league, especially in no superstar in this league who's had tons and tons of game plans thrown at them that hasn't had a bad game but it's how you respond and i think the response from tatum is another part of of his evolution and growth into that superstar role and for him to have this type of game especially when it looked like the season was slipping away in that third quarter and for him to bounce back and finish the way he did i i think it's you know it's going to go a long way towards what the rest of the series looks like and, and, you know, as I said, I, I just think that Middleton absence with the Bucks is is going to rear its head time and time again as we get deeper into the series. And now, just to wrap it up, where I've just realized we probably should have spent more time looking ahead. Um, but it is what it is, you know. I feel like this is a good lessons learned episode. Um, what are your predictions for Game 5? So my prediction coming in was I always... Ex- if you go back and listen to the archives, I always said they were going to lose Game 3, win Game 4. I was quite confident. That. I was quite confident in that. I've got them winning at home, making it the first back-to-back victory of the series for either team. Um, and then I've got... You know, you go you go to Milwaukee. Milwaukee's backs up against the wall. It's a do-or-die game for them. I can see Milwaukee winning that and then I can see Boston doing it in seven. So for game five tonight, by the time everybody's listening, it is Wednesday. The game is right. Yeah. I'm yep. not wrong. Yeah. You yep, so yeah. No English time mess up here. Uh, <laughs> so, so uh, yep. So tonight I'm expecting the Celtics to take care of business on the TD garden at the TD garden and to be the first team in this series to win back to back games. Yeah. I'm, I'm on a similar mindset coming into the series. Uh, I said Celtics in six. It, this just feels like a seven game series. It, it it really does. And you and Greg talked about, and I really agree with this point that, you know, if the Celtics had gone down three, one in this series, it, it's hard to say it was, it would have been over, but it had been really hard to imagine either team really winning three straight. And I'm going to stick to that. And that would mean that I don't think the Celtics are going to be able to close this out in six. And so I'm with you. I think the Celtics take game five in the garden. They got the momentum with them. Then they end up going to Milwaukee on Friday. Bucks are going to be playing desperate backs against the wall, defending champions down to their, you know, their, their, their last stand. And I think they probably find a way somehow, some way to, to get that win. And then it comes down to what would eventually be a game seven back in Boston. And I think I mentioned this last time we were on the karma gods, basketball karma gods. What happened at the end of the season? Bucks had a chance to be the home team. The Bucks could have been that two seed. They sat everybody, put the Celtics in the position. Do you want to be the two seed and, and play at the time? Kevin, you know, the big bad nets where everybody was, do we avoid them? What do we do with them? You know, 
do you want to play them or do you want to go to Toronto and deal with those Vax issues? And they kind of put that, put that choice in the Celtics hands. And they said, we don't care if we play y'all in the second round and you have home court advantage. Well, that might be put to the test in the series if it ends up going seven. And, you know, usually the basketball karma gods are, are on the side as a team that, that push forward trying to go for the win as opposed to, you know, trying to, shape shift their reality and we'll see what happens but I, I like the Celtics chances if it ends up in a game seven but I'm on the same page as you I think win five lose six win I don't know if you know this and I'm sure I heard it somewhere before but I don't want to say if it's not true mm-hmm. how many game sevens have the Celtics lost at the garden that I don't know I can think of one at least in my lifetime for sure which was against the magic in 2009 I, I don't know the answer. I just know that's one that I, that really sticks out to me in my mind is Game 7, 2009 Eastern Conference semifinals against the Magic, where at the time they may have set a record for amount of threes they hit in that game. Okay, I'm looking at it now. I'm looking to... So they lost one in 59. I can't, I can't even work this out. It's all over the shop. It's not many anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Games don't get lost in the Boston Garden, in, game, in the TD Garden, the Boston Garden. Like, you know, game seven, I always, I'm always going to be riding with the Celtics at home, yeah. you know, because that the crowd is just, I'd do anything to be there, man. It's serious. Listen, man, I was at the one disappointing game. We've the most disappointing game we've had this postseason, but I still had a blast. And the crowd, the crowd was there for it. The game just didn't allow for it, for it to have that that true pop. But it's there. It's there, and it will be there for each and every home game the Celtics play. Yeah. So if, as long as the team shows up, the crowd's gonna be there. And a game seven, I I wouldn't bet against the Celtics in that scenario. I'm there. I'm here for it. Uh, I think it's a game seven victory. I think we can let all these nice ladies and gentlemen continue with their fantastic Wednesday at this point. I will take some level of fair criticism for my Bon Jovi remark slash Judas Priest at the beginning of the show. You know, you can find me over on Instagram at Adam Taylor NBA. Recently hit 10K there, so you can call me Mr. Adam Taylor 10K. Uh, you can find me over on Twitter. I've got more than 10K there, no need to flex. Um, you know where I'm at. You can find my boy Will over at WillBun13 on Twitter and Instagram. Most importantly, if you've enjoyed the show, please, 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 please share it on social media. It means so much more when y'all do it. Tag us. I say y'all because I speak to Will and Will says y'all and that's rubbing off on me. Um, it's all right. I'll fit in when I go to Texas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> tag us. We'll share it. It just means a bunch. So please do that. Whether you share it on Reddit, whether you share it on Twitter, whether you share it on Instagram, whether you design your own social media that no one's on just to share it there. Cool. Also, word of mouth helps a bunch. I haven't done this to Will in a hot minute, so I'm going to throw it over to Will so he can tell you just who you can tell about this show. I'm doing this mainly for fun at this point. (laughs) And I was not ready for it because I didn't think that you were going to throw it over me. But wherever you may be, if you're walking your dog and you see your neighbors, make sure you tell your neighbors. If you're at a birthday party, make sure you tell whoever's birthday it is. Just tell everybody you see. It doesn't matter. If you're talking to them, if you're interacting with them, Tell them about the Celtics blog podcast. Tell them about me. Tell them about Adam. Tell them about Greg. Tell them about the three-man weave. Come back. Check us out. We'll be back on Friday. See y'all then. I was really sure you were going to say wherever you may be, set the Celtics blog podcast free.
<laughs> that would have been better than what I said. So I wish yeah, it nah, I think he nailed it, man. I think he nailed it. Everybody have a good one. We'll catch you on Friday. Peace. Peace. Ain't disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the major. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Celebrating with the crew. This ain't everything I am. It's something that I do.